Hello again, friends. Ed Harold, psyched to be with you for another Life with Breath expert series. Hi again, friends. Super excited to be with you. Today we have an amazing guest on the Life with Breath expert series who's doing some wonderful transformational work in what might not be a, a, a normal type of way, getting folks back out into nature, breaking out of quarantine and getting out into this great mother nature. And before we introduce this week's dynamic guest, let's just do a little centering and bring ourselves present into our body if we could. So in your own way, straightening your spine, anchoring your feet and your coccyx bone down into the energy of Mother Earth. Let your shoulders fall away from your ears and temporarily suspend the the to-do list and everything that we need to get done to feel satisfied. And just tune your awareness into the flow of diaphragmatic breathing. Slow motion inhale, slow motion exhale. And just let your body receive this breath. Just let it accept the breath. And as you begin to breathe slower, see if you can stay on the exhale a little bit longer than the inhale without straining. A lot of folks ask, how long should I exhale, Ed? You should exhale long enough so that you don't rush the next inhale. For those of you familiar with ujjayi breathing, the ocean-sounding breath, begin to valve the air through the top of the throat and allow the breath to move deeper through the mind and body, from the soles of the feet to the crown of the head, and continue to unwind where we might have been a little too wound up, relaxing the eyes and jaw completely and allowing the top of the tongue to rest on your upper palate. And then once you find a rhythm to this, add a brief retention after the inhale is complete and a brief retention after the exhale is complete. See if you can wedge your awareness into a blank space, a black space in your mind where there isn't any memory. There's no visualization distraction. There isn't any narrative in language. And begin to train the brain to move into these blank gaps of time and space without feeling vulnerable. Notice how quickly you can master this and how those brief little holds amplify the breath's ability to break up some of the parts of our psyche where we could be resisting growth, 
where we might be in denial and these will begin to soften and we'll find a newfound strength of our value. What we bring to the world and what we allow the world to bring to us. So there's always an equal exchange of energy. Go through one more round of slow motion inhale, hold for a couple moments, slow motion exhale, hold the breath out a couple moments, and just notice the interplay between the mind and body, the in-breath and the out-breath. And just to finish this up, you can customize this little centering. For those of you watching this in the afternoon, close off the right nostril, inhale slowly up the left nostril, close off, release, exhale right. Go through several rounds of this technique. For those of you watching in the morning hours, closing off, the left nostril, inhaling slowly, right nasal channel, left prefrontal lobe, close off, release, exhale, left. See how you can customize the exchange of energy to counterbalance what's going on in the external environment that is animating you at this moment of your life. And notice the deeper you can get into your mind, the more safety, resiliency and centeredness you have for all things in life. And there's a deep sense of gratitude that you're here on earth right now and you're part of the solution, not the problem. Finish up the breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose, exhale out through your mouth with a sigh, become fully present Oh, man, and we are going to have a great few minutes together today. We have a master teacher from the East Coast. Mr. Micah Mortali is with us. And I met him back in the Stone Ages in the 90s in Kripala Center, the largest yoga center in the world. And I knew right when I first met him, he had that, that vibe that you know, I don't know whether it was all planned out and scripted in his mind yet, but he was going to make a profound statement in his life to not only help himself, but help others transform themselves in their lives. So welcome, Micah. Hey, Ed, thanks. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. You're the best, man. <laughs> and Micah is an author of Rewilding Meditation Practices and Skills for Awakening in Nature. It's published by Sounds True. His life work is reconnecting modern people with restorative powers of nature through mindfulness in the great outdoors. Micah is the founder of the groundbreaking Kapala School of Mindful Outdoor Leadership at the renowned Kapala Yoga Center for Health in Massachusetts. Micah is a 500 level hour level Kapala yoga teacher a level two mind, mindful outdoor guide, and is in wilderness first aid certifi certified. He has studied with Tom Brown Jr. at the legendary Tracker School in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey and holds a master's degree in health arts and sciences from Goddard College. 
Michael Leach trainings and corporate events, wilderness retreats and seminars on rewilding and mindful outdoor leadership at Kapala and across the New England area. He lives in the beautiful Berkshire Hills of Western Massachusetts with his beautiful family. Let's dive into this. Rewilding. Let's get folks up to speed with what you're doing. What are you presenting to folks and what are you bringing to the transformational space with this rewilding? <clears throat> well, rewilding is a way to think about addressing some of the negative impacts of modern life. Um, you know, the average American spends more than 11 hours a day on a screen, over 90% of their lives indoors. Um, modern kids today, uh, the statistics from Great Britain, uh, I think it's probably analogous or comparable to the United States, but kids in Great Britain spend less than an hour, uh, spend less time outside than prison inmates. Um, prison inmates have to get an hour of fresh air exercise outside. Um, you know, we're, we're very, very disconnected in modern life from the environments that we evolved in as a species. And um, rewilding is a practice, it's a philosophy, it's an approach that basically says, hey, uh, my body, my ancestors, like we didn't evolve you know, in temperature controlled spaces and 72 degree environments, sitting most of the time, staring at a flat screen, uh, eating processed food, um, having all of our information processed. Like we didn't evolve as domesticated creatures like this. We evolved out there in contact with the seasons and the textures and the smells and the sounds and the flavors and uh, the intensity, you know, of, of the living earth. Mm. And could it be that some of the problems that people are struggling with these days, the depression, the anxiety, the health issues, like could some of this all be because, you know, we're, we're living this domesticated version of life um, that really is, in some ways, kind of, you can look at it almost as captivity. We're living these captive lives where uh, we're living on the clock, we're living out of the screens, and, um, you know, we're, we're not experiencing freedom, freedom of movement, freedom of expression, freedom of thought, and uh, rewilding is this practice of, okay, here, this is our current situation, we're, we're indoors, all the time we're chained to our computers and our phones and uh, we're not feeling good right we know people are depressed they're anxious they're struggling what if we what if we just got outside you know what if we went out and we took our shoes off and we walked in the grass what if we went and we sat by a stream and we just stopped and listened you know uh, what if i picked up a bow and arrow and got outside and learned how to shoot a bow and arrow again or climb a tree. Uh, you know, what if I started a garden and started eating food like that I pulled out of the dirt myself? Um, so it's this very, very big rewilding is just this massive approach. Uh, it's, it's, there's so much to it, so many ways it can be customized for modern people. It can be as simple as, you know, just taking your yoga practice outdoors 
Um, mm-hmm. or, or it could be a lot more, you know, it might be like, Hey, you know, I want to actually buy some land and have a little off the grid cabin and actually take responsibility for where some of my food comes from and really start connecting with circadian rhythms and seasons in a more ancestral way. So, um, it, it's a, it's a big, it's a big practice. It's a big inquiry. Um, I enjoy it and I enjoy sharing it with people. How are the programs going? for you do you you enjoy being back out there and and being that facilitator in the beautiful black drop of the of the berkshires yeah i love it i love it you know during the pandemic um you know kripalu closed for a year and a half so i i just started my own business shire quests and i started uh just guiding on my own and taking groups out and uh so i've been able to just like keep guiding you know outside you know it's a great place to be and uh, just taking people out. and uh, But being back at Kripalu, it's great. We're reopened. And uh, next year, we're going to start doing um, trainings for the School of Mindful Outdoor Leadership in person again. So we've been leading those online. We've, uh, we're in our third delivery of online training to help people become mindful outdoor guides. And, uh, but we're going to be back in person next year. And uh, it's going to be awesome. I live out on the West Coast. I live up in northern Utah, and I know you're up in the mountains in the Berkshires in Massachusetts. It's been an amazing fall. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it's been great out here. How has it been out where, where you guys are? <laughs> I mean, it's been good. You know, it's, uh, you know, the falls have been unpredictable, you know, in recent mm-hmm. years. So some falls, it'll be like really hot, you know, right up into November and um, this year it's been very temperate. It's kind of been right, we, right in the middle. We haven't had a first frost yet, but the temps are getting down into the thirties now. It's going to be happening soon. Um, and I've been outside quite a lot this fall. Uh, I led, uh, I had a rewilding intensive. I did about two weeks ago, five nights outdoors. And, uh, I've been out with some clients camping out. I've been camping out quite a bit this October and, uh, it's been awesome. It's been awesome, but we've had a lot of rain too. So every time I've camped out, just been pouring rain at least for one or two nights and a lot of wind. So there's been, you know, for me, it's been a lot of connecting with the element of water and really enjoying um, just how powerful the element of water is and connecting with it. So that's been a big theme for me this fall. Yeah. I think the, the water has an amazing effect on our nervous system, especially when we're coming into it with high states of anxiety and psychological man-made time contractions and uh, stress and just watching the water and how it's just this everlasting flow that seems to have its own natural rhythm based on the drainage or the pitch that it's in. And it just seems to be what a, like it's a perfect medicine for where our flow might be a little disturbed. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I'll often tell people, Uh, It's one of the things I kind of wrote about a little bit in the book was, you know, I just think that the elements are the greatest teachers of truth and wisdom that there are, you know, if if you want to learn how to meditate, just go sit by a stream or go to the ocean, just go to water. Water will teach us everything about meditation, you know, and uh, it's funny. It's like, you know, the, we all know like the Buddha, you know, Siddhartha attained enlightenment, like sitting under a tree, you know, and, uh, I think sometimes we forget like, yeah, you know, all these practices, you know, the ancient yogic practices, these were developed by people who were not in yoga studios. They were not inside at all. (laughs) 
they were out in wild places. They were in the mountains, in the deserts. They were sitting by rivers. You know, they were learning these things from directly from the source. Uh, and that's what we try to do in the School of Mindful Outdoor Leadership. That was my whole thought process when, when I developed it was, you know, we need to actually go back to the roots of where th this, what is the source of, you know, of mindfulness? Like, what is the source of the contemplative world? It's outside. You know, it's out there. Yeah. Back when I was younger and I was in the yoga studio game and, you know, all of that, I always had the, you know, the thought of like, okay, let's leave the studio and let's go down to the beach. Let's go down to the ocean. And early on when I would take people outside, myself as the facilitator or the holder of the container, you know, it's great going outside. But there's a whole different energetic parameters that you have to hold together for yeah. everyone to really feel safe because there's so much more energy. There's so many more negative ions. This the whole environment, your nervous system is firing off. You know, do you notice the difference? Like when yeah. you go outside compared to inside, it's like everything is like up and you're like, whoa. <laughs> totally. I, yeah. I mean, so here, here's a story. So today, this morning, I had a group of uh, 20 something people up in the forest, um, Acrobalo, and we were doing a mindful hike. And uh, we went up to this beautiful place where there's a waterfall and massive trees. And I had everybody in their sit spot, which is a practice where you go out, you sit on the land, you keep your eyes open, and you just really tune into the energy of the place. And you are aware of movement, you sink and you become a part of the environment. And we, we were probably two or three minutes into the sit spot when I heard the sound of a massive tree fall right mm. where, over where everybody was. And uh, I, I jumped up and was running over to where it happened, you know, and luckily, you know, no one was harmed. It didn't hit anybody. But to your point, yeah, and, I, and we talked about this as a group, you know, sort of. We talked about the difference, you know, when you're in a yoga studio, you know, a bear's not going to walk right through class. Um, but when we're out having a mindful outdoor experience, that could happen. And uh, so it is a different kind of a container. It's a different kind of experience. Yeah. You really have to be a master facilitator like yourself to hold all that together and remove as much of the yellow flags as, as you possibly can while knowing that mother nature's in charge to begin with. So kudos to you, man, Bravo, <laughs> because it is a skill set that I don't think a lot of the guests realize like the attention to detail while at the same time you're surrendering to the experience. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a, like, um, you know, there is a, there is an, you know, and I think that is, um, I have a lot of faith in, in people's ability to, um, to adapt and to have resilience from those kinds of experiences. And certainly we use the breath, you know, mm -hmm. quite a bit, you know, and, and so I'll, I'll always guide long exhalations, you know, mm -hmm. when I'm guiding a mindful outdoor experience and, you know, the whole, you know, as we walk through the forest, the emphasis is always on really slowing down, paying attention slowing our breath. And, um, you know, when something like that happens, you know, um, you know, one of the things, first things we'll do is we'll, we'll go back to modulating our breathing, you know, going back to the parasympathetic 
one of the cool things about like being out in the forest and one of the things I talked with the folks this morning when the tree fell was that what's amazing is something like that'll happen and the paras and the sympathetic nervous system will get, you know, all fired up, fight or flight. But then we just bring our attention back to the flowing water. We look up as the wind is whooshing through the hemlocks and the light is dappling through the forest. And the environment itself is restorative and helps us come right back to that parasympathetic tone. Um, and that's really what's so cool about when we are in those environments that we evolved in. You know, one of the things we've learned is that, you know, these environments, when we're able to go into soft fascination and mm -hmm. look at the wind blowing through the grass or the trees or listen to the water, that we're, the, the, the body and the nervous system are able to just sink right back into the parasympathetic. Um, so it's, uh, you know, in some ways, it's like good training for life. You know, those things are going to happen. You're going to have that fear response, just like in a yoga class when the teacher holds you in that posture for a long time and you start to have that, you know, that wave of experience really starts to build up and your mind wants to jump off the wave. Um, we can kind of breathe with and um, find our center again out there. Yeah, it's great. What are, what kinds of rewilding tips can you share with folks to enjoy during this fall as we head into early winter? Oh, I mean, <clears throat> it's such a fun time to, you know, rewild. I mean, this time of year right now, fall, um, you know, there's, there's a few big themes this time of year. I think so, you know, one of them is um, we're kind of heading into that time of year when we can really work with Huga the, the Nordic practice of coziness and warmth, right? So this is the time of year when fire meditation is so awesome, you know? And if you can't have a fire, then I always recommend folks get like a nice fat beeswax candle, you know? And toward the end of the day, as you're unwinding, uh, some nights you might try just eliminating all electric light in your home and just mm -hmm. letting the light, like as the sun goes down early, just embracing that it's getting dark early and, lighting your beeswax candle, having a cup of peppermint tea, and just kind of aligning with the circadian rhythm of this time of year, like, right? And like letting the brain just start to go into that melatonin phase as it gets darker, just one night a week, it's such a, a beautiful practice. And then when you start to kind of yawn around seven or 7.30 as you're reading your book, like see if you can just go to bed at that mm -hmm. time when you naturally start yawning, you know, right. That can be a really great, it doesn't sound like rewilding, but it is because it's, right. it's aligning with what's actually, it's like bringing our bodies into harmony with the season. Um, you know, another big uh, theme this time of year is, you know, the hunt and the gather. This is that time of year when, you know, all the animals on the land are, are really packing on the calories they're, they're beefing up for fall. And it's a time when, um, when people have always either, you know, been out hunting or been out gathering and harvesting the garden. Uh, so it's a, it's a good time of year for, for that. It's a good time of year, whatever your practice is. Um, it's a good time of year to think about gathering and storing food. So it could be good canning time. Um, you know, it's certainly a good time to get out there and, uh, you know, whether you're, you know, gathering up acorns or hickory nuts or you're hunting, whatever it might be, like this is an amazing time of, of year for that to connect with food and where food comes from. 
and uh, to do it reverently and with all of our heart um, and to do it in a very uh, mindful and um, caring way. Um, Fall's a powerful yeah. time for that. You know, one of the things that I really enjoyed about my Kripalu experience was obviously the pranayama. And it started with Yoganan. And then there was many, many teachers uh, who fell in, in alignment with his, his techniques. And when I think about it, I watch some of the archery stuff that you do. Uh, so I, I love watching it on, on social media. That You do a great job with that. How's the pranayama? woven in to archery skill? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so yeah, I've been, um, shooting bow and arrow since I was a, like a little sprout, you know, started as a real little kid and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I love, I've always loved it. And, uh, it's such a deep, deeply ancestral skill. So, you know, no matter what continent your ancestors are from, they shot the bow and arrow. Right. <laughs> Guaranteed. It's in us. And uh, there is a deep spiritual uh, power to, to traditional archery. So I just shoot a bent stick and a string. I don't really shoot compound. I just shoot very, very ancestral, very intuitive. So I don't have any sights on my bow. It's, I, th I shoot a, a bow and arrow the same way that you throw a baseball. You know, I just kind of mm -hmm. look and I, and I let my unconscious mind do the aiming. And uh, the breath is a really important part of it. So, you know, essentially when, I, when I'm shooting, my practices, and this is something that I just developed over many years. This is my own unique, I'm sure others do this too, but it's just something that I've developed. So I go out into my backyard either in the morning or at the end of the day with my quiver, my arrow, my bow, and my target. And I have this beautiful view of the mountain. And I walk out and I just plant my feet and I take a couple of big breaths. And I let out a few long exhales. And I just look up and I look all around. I look at the mountain. And I just like reach out with my senses and my feelings to like the whole place. You know? Because I wanna I wanna just feel everything that's here. Part of that is because I also want to make sure there's nothing behind my target that I don't want to hit, you know. So I just want to be there. I want to have situational awareness. But at the same time, it's also like I'm just connecting. And each time I exhale, I just try to empty my cup and let go and just come into that place of the witness. And when I'm taking those big breaths, I'm also letting my awareness be super expansive. Like I'm just kind of taking everything in because in a moment, I'm about to become laser focused. So it's, it's a contrast of really, really big. And then all of a sudden it comes into a laser point. I put my, I put my focus on the target. I inhale, I draw back to my anchor and I release with the exhale. So that's, that, that, that's how I shoot. Inhale, anchor and let go. Um, and you know what? There's this story from um, the Ramayana and, uh, that, I'll, that I'll share real briefly. So um, we all know Arjuna from the Bhagavad Gita was a great legendary archer of ancient times. And uh, when he was a child, his teacher was Drona, 
who if you've read the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna is on one side of the field and across the field, it's said in chapter one, he sees Drona across the field from him. So I didn't really realize when I first read the Bhagavad Gita many times, like what a close connection Arjuna and Drona had. Drona was like his father, was his, his archery mentor, trained him from a child. And here he is looking across the battlefield at Drona. Well, when he was a kid, Drona had all the young archers together and they were all gathered and um, Drona had taken a, a stuffed parrot and put it high up in a tree and it had had a little button for an eye. And he said to the children, he said, you're going to shoot the eye of the parrot and I've put it high up in the tree. And he says, he asks each of the children that are gathered there one by one, he says, what do you see when you look up in the tree? And the children say, I see the parrot. I see the eye of the parrot. I see the clouds, I see the sky, I see butterflies, I see the wind, right? He goes through all the children. They all say all of these different things that they see. And then Arjuna comes up and he says, Arjuna, what do you see? And Arjuna says, I see the eye of the parrot. And he says, what else do you see, Arjuna? And he says, nothing. He says, shoot. And Arjuna shoots and he hits the eye of the, eye of the parrot. Mm. Yeah. Love that story, you know. I think it's uh, it's 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 a that's one of the beautiful things about um, traditional instinctive archery is there you can experience a, a state of total absorption in the practice that is very very powerful, um, and uh, it, it's great too because when you release the arrow, you get immediate feedback on your technique, your focus, because you immediately know when you, when I drop into that zone and I become the target and there's no me shooting, there's no target, it's just a union, it always goes right into the bullseye. And if I'm not totally in that zone, it doesn't. I think that that is so underrated in regard to how good this is for us when we could be physiologically or psychologically stuck. If you're starting out with taking in as much of the landscape as you possibly can through your sixth sense perception, and over a period of a few minutes, you begin to narrow your focus to one pointed focus, and you've gone the whole scope of how far you can see out and feel out to how little you can zoom in on something. The mind, that's as far as the mind can travel. It can travel like a telescope and it can also work like a microscope. And when we begin to use our eyes like that, there's such a profound effect on everything else in our life. And you can begin to see how everything else we're trying to achieve in our life works in the same paradigm of that. It's a great point. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a really great point. It, you can certainly apply it to everything else. You know, it's a... Uh... I've always felt like um, I've had experiences, I'm sure you have too, of you know moments when we get into that state of just absolute focus. And it's a very magical place. And things happen there. And we're, I think, I don't know, my personal belief is that you know we are divine creators. And when we can get into that state of supreme focus, um, there's pretty much, I, I, I feel like we are unlimited you know, in that state. And it's, uh, it, it is one of the things that is, uh, I'm, I'm the most grateful for in my, you know, in my life of spiritual practice to have had some moments of those types of experiences, you know, and, uh, I, I, I love to, 
I, I like the idea of being able to offer experiences where others can, you know, can access that power that's within them, you know, that potential. Um, and it's, it's a very, um, it's something that I think is healing because, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways in which I think, you know, not just modern life, but I'm sure over the millennia that it's easy for people to feel small and powerless. And, uh, it's, it's, it's quite a transformational experience when you can feel that sense of what you are able to do. Um, and, uh, even if, so sometimes like with my rewilding stuff, it also comes into play with like birthing fire, you know, when, mm -hmm. you know, people will be out there and, you know, they'll, struggle you know for a couple of days to build that bow drill kit you know they're going to try to birth fire and you know they're they they struggle they got to carve they got to learn so many different things how to carve the wood how to shape the wood how all the dynamics work and then they got to figure out the body mechanics and everything of rubbing this wood together and how they're going to make a fire and but when it happens and they have that moment of like breathing fire to life in the palm of their hand and they feel that connection to their ancestors and what a transformational step this was for, for human beings. Um, it's just an unforgettable thing. It just has to make people feel so good on such a level. Also very quickly, you know, a lot of folks and everybody wants to get better and transform, but nobody wants to change. I get it. <laughs> You know, we're comfortable where we are and we're habit-driven yeah. creatures. I don't think there's anything faster in the opportunity to transform to a more quality sense of awareness than just getting outside, slowing down, and paying attention. You just need to show up, and the work will be done for you. It, I don't think it can be any easier than that. You know, getting people yeah. out of their own way and then not really over promising, you know, under promising and then getting them out there. By the time you get, you take them through a program, even if it was just something like today, just three or four hours. I mean, unbelievable what you must witness from the nervous system to the heart rate, to the relaxed facial features, to what's happening to the neurochemistry. Like you're like a scientist watching the lab. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, and you're right, Ed, it doesn't, it doesn't take much, you know, um, just sitting for 15 minutes or t walking for 15 minutes without talking, you know, this is really, I think this is the big thing, you know, if we just, if I just invite people to take a few breaths, you know, notice the sound of the wind and the birds and, and say like, so we're just going to walk for 10 or 15 minutes. I just want to invite you to just pay attention and notice what's going on around you. You're right. I mean, it's, it just sort of happens. And what's really amazing is when you just sit for a little while on earth, you know, like it's pretty, I mean, trees are, I mean, what, what is going on? How did, <laughs> what mm -hmm. is all this? You know, like you, people start to have experiences of like, wow, like it's been a long time since I watched a, like, you know, for fall, you know, I like to sit people down, you know, for 15 minutes on a nice day like today. And most adults don't ever give themselves permission to sit for 15 minutes in the fall and experience fall without doing something. You know what I mean? 
like right. just sitting and watching leaves fall is when you're present can be exquisite better than any any museum you know just the light filtering through the trees a couple of leaves falling softly on the ground and hearing that sound and looking up and seeing the blue sky and feeling the cool wind on your skin and smelling the toasted pine needles on the ground you know we live on eden like i feel like this is what's so sad to me sometimes too, is that it's right here. The beauty of creation is like right before us. And I think sometimes folks are really moved because they feel like, gosh, like how am I not seeing it? And here it is, it's so right in front of me, it's so simple. And I don't have to be in a national park and I don't have to spend a lot of money on gear. I literally have to just walk outside and be still for five or 15 minutes, you know? I really enjoy myself. I love the, you know, the four seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall, and, and being outside and seeing the magic of how it just inherently and organically unfolds, whether I want it to or not. My job is to merge with the environment without any of the psychological baggage of man-made time. In the, in the most simplistic terms, yep. there's there's never enough time to do what I want to do. And there's plenty of time to do what I don't want to do. And as soon as we go outside and whatever season it is, it just seems like our body is a part of our body. is like the autonomic nervous system, which is warm and cold. So it knows the difference between winter and summer. And then you have the two seasons on the side. There's another part of the body, the pheromones up in the sinuses, they pick up the different smell of fall and winter compared to the different smell of the environment in spring and summer. And all of this, these pheromones begin to go off in our nostrils and sinuses and our body just begins to become one with something beyond anything our mind or ego could even grasp. It's so powerful and loving. Mm. Well said, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, all the senses come into play, you know, where uh, it's funny, like sometimes if you think about it, like, you know, some, sometimes I don't, I've kind of over the last few years, I've, I've shied away from using the word nature too much a little bit. I mean, I don't, it's just funny because sometimes we talk about nature like it's something other than us. And just to your point, it's like, we are so deeply in a state of interbeing. We are the earth, like we literally are the planet earth, you and I all of us, our mm -hmm. brain, our brain, our nervous system is the brain and nervous system of planet Earth, right? Like we evolved here on this planet. So like our thoughts, our feelings, our sensations, our dreams, our creations are a manifestation of this planet. You know, like we didn't come from somewhere else. This is it. And uh, to your point, you know, what the, the smells, all these feelings, like they just reinforce this really profound and like overwhelmingly psychedelic sometimes experience mm -hmm. of being so deeply at one um, with our, with the great self, you know, that is life. And it, that is such a deep part of our tradition, our yoga tradition, Ed, like, you know, you know, coming up in the Kripalu tradition, you know, tracing it back to the forest dwellers, you know, the Aranikas and uh, the Pashupatis, you know, these, these ancient, people that lived in the forests and 
we're doing pranayam out in the forest to feel more and more alive. How alive can I feel? Mm -hmm. How much mm -hmm. life force can I hold? And uh, one of the things I really enjoy watching you is your posts of you jumping in the cold water out there. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. so inspiring because I can see you, man. And you're just like, you're just so alive and, and uh, putting yourself into deep contact with the, the cold water and uh, it's a, you know that's just one aspect of rewilding I also really enjoy well I love to think I mean I love to figure things out but above all I love to feel and I love to be in my body and there, when we go out into nature we see this massive amount of complexity that's extremely simple for us to interact with if we choose to with our five sense perception and I think the breath out of all the senses is kind of the master switch yeah. that allows us to merge with this environment that on the most simplistic terms is trying to become our friend. It's trying to help us. It's trying to get us uh, unstuck, maybe if we've been a little off recently and can, or separate from our heart. The, 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 the science out there in regard to being outside and what happens to your heart and what happens to your two prefrontal cortexes? Everybody needs to get outside. How can we help people hook up with you? I'm um, pretty easy to find. So um, michaelmortali.com is my website. And uh, I'm also have a site, a page on the Kripalu website. So www.kripalu.org. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, michaelmortali and uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty easy to find in those areas. And, uh, you know, I lead in a bunch of programs all the time. I've got a course coming up here at Kripalu, an online course called Befriending Winter, which is mm. going to be starting up in November. Uh, it's a four-week class, which I ran last year. And, uh, yeah, and I'll be doing – I'm actually really excited. In January, I'm going to be doing a uh, winter consciousness tracking and survival course at Kripalu. So for folks who are interested in learning how to build a fire in any conditions, building a winter shelter, tracking, and connecting with the natural world during the wintertime, it's going to be super fun. We're going to be out in the woods here tracking and making fire, and it's going to be fun. So all kinds of ways, Ed. <laughs> you know, we live at a time where most of us are running on high RPMs. You know, our heart rate's too high, our blood pressure is too high, we're not metabolizing our fat, we're only burning sugar. There's far too many thoughts that we can manage and stay coherent in, in the body and mind. And when you look at what you're offering folks in winter, if you're overheating inside, we have to go outside to counterbalance this temporal on internal overheating. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, there's no bad weather, just bad clothing, you know? And, uh, right. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, winter time is one of these seasons that some people really struggle with. Not me. I love it. I'm Pitta, man. I run hot all year. I struggle right. in the summertime. I, I tend to hibernate in summer. Winter is when I come out of my hibernation. And, uh, but I know that that's not true for everybody. So, I, I like to share my enthusiasm for the season. Um, certainly getting outside, getting in the fresh air is very enlivening. It's very refreshing. Um, 
getting the sun, you know, in our eyes and on our skin in the wintertime can feel really, really good. It can be a, a really helpful way to counterbalance um, seasonal affective disorder, to just mm-hmm. walk, walk outside regularly. Um, you know, but the other thing is like, if there's snow on the ground, then every morning you go outside, there's all these stories from our relatives mm-hmm. in the more than human world, their tracks that are everywhere in the snow. Um, it's a great time to connect with the element of fire. And then finally, my thing I love the most about winter, and I'm waiting for, for me, the first frost has become a very sacred moment because you never know when Jack Frost is coming. He Mm. picks his own day when he comes. But on that day, when you have your first frost, isn't it amazing that the water transforms from a liquid into a crystal, right? And what an incredible transition point that is like so fundamental, right? That the element of water transforms from a liquid into a solid. And then the whole, all the grass and everything just glistens in the morning light on that first frosty morning. It's a very sacred and very special threshold for me now. And uh, so I just encourage everybody who's listening just to think about that and keep an eye on when that first frost comes and make a ritual out of going out there and really being mindful for that transition because there is something so clean and so pure and so healing about the cold as it settles in on the land. And uh, if we can just dress appropriately, you know, and find ways to embrace our, you know, that what the Nordic people have shared with us about Huga, it can become just an awesome, awesome season. Uh, so well said, thank you. So humanity, we're at a little bit of a bridge here. We're a little bit of a jumping off point. And it's getting to be, there's a lack of transparency out there. And we really don't know where, where the truth lies. And where should we, you know, put our energy in? One of the great things I like going outside is Mother Nature can always be trusted. She has no axe to grind. She's here to support my life, my environment, my perception. She never tells a mistruth. Every time I go out into nature, even though I might not actually physically be able to see the difference between what's here Wednesday and what was here Tuesday, it's completely different if I had a microscope. It's completely not attached. It's a, actually a closed system that works on its own. How can we get folks this winter to really begin to go inside and start to trust their heart, trust their gut, be able to make that transition out of the quarantine and the mass and the sky is falling and we're not going to make it? And how can we get back out into nature and use this winter to transform ourselves in the next spring? Just that, huh? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> uh, well, it's such a good question, Ed. And uh, I really appreciated the question because what you just shared really is feels true to me, which is over the course of the last year and a half, I have begun to migrate my, uh, tried to migrate my awareness off of media and onto nature uh, and the outdoors as much as possible for the exact reason that you just shared, um, which is that when, when we go outside, uh, when we log off the world wide web, you know, and we log onto the wood wide web, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we are connected to 
source energy. You know, we are, when you go out onto the land, whether you're in a desert or a prairie or the forest, and there's nothing around you but, you know, what you're perceiving through your senses and the living earth, um, you're, you're touching something eternal and timeless, um, which is the creative forces of the more than human world, right? And I, I think when we're on our phones and we're watching the news, and you know, everything that's coming at us is coming through people's brains to you. It's all being filtered through human consciousness. Um, so when, when we log off and we allow ourselves to plug into um, the consciousness of the cosmos through nature and through the outdoors, um, we, we are touching something that is truer. I would say, <laughs> you know, I think we're touching truth in a way and purity um, and the Tao or prana or spirit, however you want to describe it. And uh, I think that is a vital experience that human beings actually deeply, deeply need. Um, I feel that those experiences really fuel us and, um, provide needed perspective. Um, and I think perspective is a big one. You know, when we go outside and you look up at the vault of the sky and you're looking into eternity um, and you're feeling yourself a part of something that's so big you cannot wrap your mind around it, it puts human issues into perspective. Um, so, you know, ways that we can help people to do that, what I would encourage folks to do is make a little ritual Make a sit spot ritual in your daily routine. When you get up in the morning and you have that first cup of coffee or tea, if you can't get outside, then sit by your window and crack it open so you can get a little fresh air. If you can go outside, go sit in your backyard or on your fire escape for a few minutes with your coffee and bundle up with a blanket and just watch the day begin for 5, 10, 15 minutes. Watch the light change in the sky. Get to know the birds. Listen to the sounds of the morning. Um, if you can do that regularly, you're going to find the source of strength and inspiration that is going to enrich your life in ways you cannot even begin to imagine. It is such a powerful practice in the sit spot. 15 minutes a day with your coffee, just observing the day begin. You can do it at the end of the day as well. Um, but I think of all the practices that I know, that would be the one practice that will probably pay the biggest dividends. Wow. Well said. Thank you so much. The way I understand a lot of the ancient teachings was that the aspirants were trying to tune their nervous system to the energy of the earth. They were trying to tune their awareness to that inherent energy that just makes all of this work. You know, the energy that brings the sun up and the moon down and then the moon chasing the sun. What brings high tide and what brings low tide? What changes the seasons of all living things here on earth? So 
these ancient warriors, spiritual warriors, were playing a big game. I mean, they were in it to win it. It wasn't just like, you know, I want to forget about a bad day at work. And these guys were trying to tune their self in, their entire self in, to what they were picking up and feeling at a profound level all the time. And when you think about what you're offering to folks, your hand is out, your heart is open, there is a bridge there. If you're willing to take the first step, I've got your hand, and I've got the first several steps of your next journey in these rewilding retreats. And I just, you know, it just cracks my heart open to know that there's people out there like you doing great service like that. Oh. <laughs> Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. That means a lot. And I feel the same about you. And uh, thank you. Yeah, it, it feels good to have found my offering and to be mm. able to put it forth. You know, that's uh, I think that's a so, for sometimes that's a that's a hard journey to get to that place of knowing what your offering is and to distilling it into into getting to a place where you can where you can put it out there and uh, I do feel like I'm in that place now and um, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah, and when you drop into that slot, I mean that's going to be the ride, you know, for the rest of this body. So <laughs> I think folks feel that authenticity and they'll tell two friends and they tell two friends and Oh gosh, next thing you know, you got 16 assistants out there in the woods trying to hold the container together. Yeah, yeah, yes, totally. That's sometimes how it works. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun when you find what you love, right? I mean, you know, you're doing it. It's 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 a joy to to come into your work, right? Well, I you know I I think at some point we really have to take a good look at the mirror and authenticate ourselves to some degree. Like, am I in alignment? You know, am I walking my talk? You know, where can I modify perception that might not be the best place for my attention to be? You know, where can I find ritual? Like human beings, like ritual is not a new word, okay? Ritual goes way back to where there wasn't anything other. There was never negative mental stress. The only stress you might have is you were going to be eaten or you needed to eat. It, you know, it was just a very simplistic way of being. Yeah. And I can't think of a better way for us to heal our nervous systems than mm. be outside and connect with our true source. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... I think it's needed. I think people are hungry for it. You know, when we did our first uh, case mole training, the School of Mindfulness Leadership training, we got hit with the nor'easter on the very first day. So, like, this is like nine-day program outdoors, never been run before. We have forty-five people in the program, and you know, here we go, and it's the whole entire thing is outside, and the first forty-eight hours were just torrential downpour and high winds. I was shocked because. People came into the building for their meals and I would sit there in the dining hall, look out the windows and I watched them running back into the woods. The folks would come in, they'd eat fast and then they put their rain gear back on and they ran back outside. They did not want to be in that building. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I think a lot of folks experienced that over, you know, the last year and a half of <clears throat> um, like, a deep hunger and a recognition that, yeah, 12, 13, 14 hours on a screen 
is inhumane. This is not, it's not humane. You can't expect a child to do that. You can't expect, could you imagine if we took a, you know, if we took like a, a gorilla out of the forest, out of its natural habitat, put it in a, you know, a mm-hmm. cement room with fluorescent lights, gave it an iPad and uh, uh, some processed food and, you know, came back six months later and like, that would be a depressed gorilla, right? And uh, I think a lot of people are kind of in that boat these days, you know, it's something's off. And I think the pandemic has given people a reset. And I think there's, I, I saw a statistic the other day that like 47% of the American workforce is changing jobs this year. Right. You know, I think people are really thinking like, how do I want to live? You know, how do I want my days? How do I want to spend my days? Do I want to be on a computer for 14 hours a day or do I want to be, you know, outside more? moving my body. And so um, the thing is, we all got to do what we've got to do, you know, and everybody's got to try to find their way to make it work. And so, you know, the main message I want to give to folks is that there are small things you can do to rewild your life. You know, walking barefoot for a couple of minutes a day, doing your sit spot, lighting that candle, doing your candle meditation, you know, Um, forage one food, you know, that you can get to know that's wild. Um, these little things add up and make a big difference. They certainly do. And, you know, there seems to be layers to not only what we're all going through as a species, but also internally, there's layers to us. We are, we are layer driven people. And when we think about how we can get more information revealed to us externally, so we can trust our life a little bit more and keep our feet on the ground and we can find more layers inside that we can begin to discard that no longer serve the greater purpose of your birth and what you're doing in your life. There's no better choice than letting mother nature do the work for you. Yeah. I can't argue with that. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us. You are really an enlightened young man, and you're helping thousands of people navigate these murky waters. Congratulations, sir. Oh, thanks so much, Ed. I really appreciate it. And I, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate your go be great <laughs> message. It is just a great message in this day and age to, uh, to, to tell people to go be great, you know, to, to, to go after their potential. You know, I think it's, it's incredibly inspiring. Um, you know, there's a, it's, it's needed, man. So thank you. Thank you for encouraging us to go be great and to, you know, um, to find the power and have the confidence in ourselves. You really do that. Ed, and I love to watch it. And, um, I really appreciate you. Um, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful message. I'm honored to be on your show and, uh, um, to have this conversation with you. So thank you. My pleasure. I want folks to go out there and get that book that you can see in the corner of this screen, this rewilding book, and get it out. It's a great Christmas gift. You know, get it out to families and friends, blow this thing up, and then get up and hang out with Micah and just let go of anything that you're not. Attach yourself to everything that you've always been. Smile. Let it all go. Crack that heart open. Laugh. Cry. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. (laughs) Thank you, Micah. Thanks, Ed. Great to be here. I appreciate you, brother. You too. So long. All right. Peace. That was great.